your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM, a Friday, a blizzard Friday. Chagoski's calling in because he's scared of the snow with your little, probably electronic vehicle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, definitely, well, I definitely I'm, know you have I'm a car. I'm glad you made it in okay. Yeah, well, I got a, a well, I drove the car, actually. I was going to pretend that I drove my 22-year-old truck in. Um, is it 20? No, it's 20, 1996. So what are we at? 25, 26 years old? Um, but it's got four-wheel drive. But I drove the car. I will say, everybody, get get your car washed when the salt gets on the road. Otherwise, you turn into your your car's going to get rusty. So do that. Um, oh, the, when the temperatures go up next week, can you imagine the lines at the car wash places? I know. Well, it's pretty interesting because when the salt goes on the road, and then after that subdues a little bit, that's when you need to get your car washed. But you're right when. When everyone, when it's 60, it's going to be 60 degrees, right? Like, what is that? It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be extremely warm next week to the extent that we might have rain next week in the middle of December. I wonder if there's some collusion going on here, Rick, between big car wash and the uh, city putting all this, uh, the, the salt on the street. Probably, probably because the city owns a car wash, right? There's, uh, there's definite collusion. The city owns that car wash by the airport. Uh, and they th- I think it's a dollar cheaper than anywhere else. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable government spending. This, this is on. investigative journalism right here. Yeah, we got it. We, we've exposed the whole uh, conundrum <laughs> that, that the city has is, is put itself in. Um, that's UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. I always forget to do that because it's like, hey, it's Friday, you're on, but we should probably probably properly introduce you. The talk and text line, 608 785 7914, if you want to get into, um, you know, if you got, uh, you know, political questions. I do this every, maybe once a month with you, Chagoski. You're a political science professor. Can you, can you talk about, you know, how. As a as a, in that field, how you guys dive into I don't know is there a good I, I don't know how to pose the question. Explain to me political science, I guess, and political scientists. Yeah, essentially, we want to look at the political world in an evidence based way. So we want to explain political outcomes not using our own opinions, not using our own biases, but using well grounded theories and using evidence. So. It's political science because we try to use the scientific approach to explaining politics, putting aside our own personal views and trying to just explain things in the way that makes the most sense, trying to explain why the world is the way it is, trying to explain how politics works the way it does through an objective and scientific lens. And that's got to be a little that's that's probably getting harder and harder nowadays right because you you uh, we talk about this in the media a lot you want to be and we were talking about this before the show and this is a little bit different angle of the conversation you you want to try to see both sides of the story but sometimes one side of the story is completely awful and maybe the consistency of that side in different stories is also awful and and it's like i don't know if that i don't feel like it's my biases here it could be a little bit but it's off it's also like your your side isn't doing the things that like seem i don't know do you understand what i'm saying 
It's super difficult to figure out what it means to be objective, because one way that we might think about objectivity is to be equally positive about each side and equally negative about each side. We say one good thing and one bad thing about the Democrats. We say one good thing and one bad thing about the Republicans. That's one way to think about it. But what if one side is more at fault for the way things are going? What if one side is just really struggling? Then we might go in a more negative direction on one side, but that leads to charges of bias. So if we're just sort of describing the world as it is, and one side is really dropping the ball, one side is really struggling, one side is really not doing what it should be doing, well, that could be objective because we're just describing the world in the way that it is, but it could also lead us to charges of bias, because we're not being equally negative or positive about each side. Yeah, I got to be equally negative. Well, positive. We don't need to be positive about either side. We just need to be equally negative, Tchaikovsky. I don't let's, know why we would ever haters. Talk. Let's just be haters. Well, that's in, in the, another, another uh, angle that I think political scientists look at in, in what gets – uh, people motivated, not even just political science, but politicians in general, and what gets people motivated is often not the great things that politicians are doing to help society or whatever. It's the awful things that the other side is doing and therefore you know, makes great talk shows, too. Yeah, there's really good evidence in political science that people are more likely to punish politicians for perceived wrongdoings then they are to reward politicians for perceived successes. So there's a bias in the way that people look at politics, in the way that people look at the world. They see the negative more clearly or more intensely than the positive, and then the negative perceptions really affect their vote more than the positive perceptions. A perfect example of this, Rick, is the inflation news that came out today, where we saw evidence of high inflation, historically high inflation, the highest inflation in several decades, inflation that particularly hit categories like food and rent. And so people are more likely to focus on that type of news than maybe the positive economic news. And then they're more likely to punish the party in power for what they perceive as inflation. That is the fault, perhaps, of the party in power to at least some extent. And so this negativity bias, as I like to call it, this negativity bias really affects how people see the political world. It for sure affects how people see the voting decision. So I guess in a way that it's true that we are kind of haters. Now, when you talk about inflation and we want the, the party in power is, is the problem due to like, can we point to Joe Biden and say it's his fault for inflation? Because he's been in power for a year. Did he in, in the past year? It's like it's all on him because it feels like, uh, you know, a year, a year's time, man. If, if what was the, what was the percentage you gave me earlier today? Like, 20, what was the percent of inflation? Did you give me a, a, a percentage? The government yeah, report it, Friday it's said... About, it's it, about 6% inflation over the last year, and that amounts to the highest level observed in nearly 40 years. The increases were driven by food prices to a great extent, and also rent. So 
those are issues that impact people directly, right? When people see higher food costs, when people see higher rent on their bill, that's something that impacts them directly. It's something that they notice. It's pain that they feel. And so this is particularly relevant from a political perspective, because if people feel the pinch, if people feel that they are paying more for things, then that's just going to make them want to take out that pain, to take out that frustration on whoever they think might be responsible. Yeah, it says here in the AP story, the government's report today, consumer prices jumped 6.8% over the past year. So right when Joe Biden started, the prices just of everything just started to go up. It's completely his fault. I would say that there was some legislation passed uh, early in his in the in the uh, in his presidency. Um, I can't remember all that. They all have stupid names. Build Back Better, uh, American Rescue. It was the American Rescue Plan Act, right? That's yeah, this probably- was the ARPA. Yeah. So so maybe some of that. I mean, but earlier in the year, I mean, for the past couple of years, we've been printing money. So that's that. I don't exactly I'm not going to pretend I know how inflation works, but I think when you print money, then that that's not a great thing. Well, uh, certainly there are a lot of causes to the heightened inflation. Right. And Rick, we talk about this a lot, that complicated problems have complicated explanations. There's no single explanation that can account for the inflation that's occurring. Certainly, government policy has something to do with it. But also think about the massive economic disruption caused by the pandemic, how historically high levels of people, historically high numbers of people are quitting their jobs, trying to find a new career. There are so many job openings and employers trying to outbid one another for employees because they're having a hard time hiring. People just making enormous movements in the job market, this shuffling in the job market that we haven't seen in any other time that I can think of. And so the enormous economic dislocation, the enormous economic disruption caused by the pandemic, government policies, so many factors, you throw that into the mix and you get inflation, you get the economic consequences of all of that. It's not easy to sort out who is responsible for what here, but certainly voters are going to be inclined to blame Biden and to want action from him in some way, shape, or form to address this issue. Because like we said, Rick, people are feeling the higher prices. They are seeing the higher prices. It affects how people live. It affects how people understand the economy when they see these higher prices in their day-to-day lives. Well, and you talk about like people, people seeing that people directly affected by higher food prices, higher gas prices. Those people are regular uh, middle-class, lower-class people because the, anyone above that doesn't care about food price. They probably don't even understand that food and gas prices. You go back to the arrested development meme you always see oh what does a banana cost anyway ten dollars you can just go about you can go and refer to something like that but um all right when we come back dr anthony chagoski is going to give his movie review of the movie elf we'll be back (laughs) all right welcome back to lacrosse talk pm i just type andy williams i can't pick a christmas song i'm just going to type andy williams in now for non chagoski (laughs) <laughs> well, hey, that's an area of common ground between us. We both love Andy Williams. Yeah, and it's supposed to snow. Is it snowing? I'm not. I'm in a bunker down here. 
in the wisdom studio so i can't look out the window at this point but maybe it is it's, it's coming down good so oh, stay in the good. bunker oh good <laughs> maybe i should have drove the truck all right that's the <laughs> of the cross political science professor dr anthony chagoski um there is some there is some statewide news coming up and it's on the website wisdomnews.com just about uh election investigations i feel like this is we it, it gets annoying to talk gerrymandering election investigations it gets it just gets a little old like we got to keep like there there's always news of something else happening with gerrymandering with election investigations it gets a little old and then I don't want to talk about it but it's also like really important at least in terms of mm-hmm. gerrymandering i don't know the importance of the election investigation is it is it is it uh what would you say is it um something republicans are doing on purpose to keep it in the news to always keep people thinking back to 2020 Joe Biden, quote unquote, because what Robin Voss did and didn't say the other day, you probably saw that story, right? He wouldn't uh, he kind of he kind of accepted or didn't didn't just flat out deny the conspiracy theories that Biden stole the election. I mean, that's the point, right, to kind of keep this going. It's a big risk on Robin Voss's part, because Robin Voss would love to refocus and move forward with an eye towards the 2022 midterm elections, where the Republicans look to be in great shape. All signs are pointing to Republicans having a potentially great year in the 2022 elections. But a potential problem for the Republicans is not moving on from 2020 as they're trying to focus on 2022. And like you said, Rick, there's a very interesting interview that Robin Boss did with a TV station, I believe in Milwaukee, where he said that the claims about the election being stolen are not conspiracy theories, and he wouldn't say or not say if he believes that Joe Biden stole the election. Robin Boss is trying to placate the base of the party that feels the election was stolen, that wants the election to be overturned. Of course, that's not going to happen. So Voss is in a tough position politically. It's sort of self-imposed because he's not taking up taking a hard line with the base of his party on how you know, on what happened in the election. So Voss is in an awkward position, to put it mildly. He's trying to sort of play nice with the base of the party that believes the election was stolen, that believes that Biden is not the legitimate president. But he also, at some point, needs to pivot and focus on 2022. So it leads to him saying some sort of odd things, including in this interview he did recently with the station in Milwaukee. All right, we got a call coming in. Caller, who's this? You're on the air. Uh, This is Jeff calling. Hey, Jeff, go ahead. You're on the air. I would just like to know uh, what your guest thinks about the fact that uh, democracy is in jeopardy. With all the voting uh, laws going into effect in all different states, red states, basically. And uh, I'd just kind of like to hear what his opinion is on that. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, is democracy, well, how about this, Trigoski? Is democracy in jeopardy or is that is that a legit thing we should be thinking about? 
You know, it's interesting. This is something that political scientists do think a lot about. And so contrary to what some might believe, you know, I I know that, uh, you know, the common stereotype of of professors is that we're super liberals, that we're super radicals and out there. And for political scientists, it's not so much that we're these far-left radicals. It's more that we're concerned about democracy. So when I think about politics, I just don't really think about ideology that much. I just don't really care that much about partisanship. But what I do care about is the health and stability of democracy. And we've seen that America is not as stable of a democracy as maybe we once thought. So there has been a surge of election laws that have created concern among many about the effects on voting. One interesting data point here is that in Georgia, David Perdue, who used to be a senator from Georgia, he hopped in a race to challenge the sitting Republican Governor Brian Kemp. Both Perdue and Kemp are Republicans. And the sole difference between the two is that David Perdue thinks Kemp should not have certified the results of the election. They're both conservative Republicans. They don't really have policy differences per se. The only difference between the two is their belief that the election was or was not stolen. So it's interesting and quite newsworthy that you have this divide within the Republican Party, not really about policy, not really about ideology, but a divide that is really driven about the willingness to entertain these views about the 2020 election. And so I I think that that is what I'm watching more than anything. I'm watching how this plays out within the Republican Party. And we just talked about it with Robin Voss, how Robin Voss is sort of kind of distancing himself from the view that the election was stolen, but also not really distancing himself from the view that the election was stolen. How does that internal struggle within the Republican Party or how does that internal dynamic within the Republican Party play out? To the caller's question, that's what I'm really focused on. Where does the Republican Party kind of go here when it comes to 2022? Do they pivot away from talking about the 2020 election, or do they continue talking about the 2020 election? And the dividing line in the party is basically, do you or do you not claim that the election was stolen? Well, and I talked about this uh, earlier this week, and I think with William Garcia, the Democratic Party chair on the Democratic Voice podcast, as the normalizing of of stuff like that by um, by having people like uh, Lauren Boebert in Colorado, Major Major is it Majori Majori Taylor Green, yeah. and she's in Georgia. Is she in Georgia? I think she's in yep. Georgia. I mean, when when those Congress people say just outright ridiculous things like total and, and steal all the headlines, right? We got to talk about it. And uh, that, that sort of, that, that normalizes the less ridiculous things that any other year, maybe, maybe five or 10 years ago, that stuff would have seemed what Robin Voss and what Michael Gableman are doing in Wisconsin with an election investigation a decade ago, that would have seemed ludicrous, right? Like that would like, nobody would, would be be on board with that. Yeah, Rick. I mean, one of the weird parts about politics today is there is a class of lawmakers 
whose goal is to seemingly gain a social media following. Their goal as members of Congress seems to be to gain followers on Twitter, to gain fans on Facebook, and to gain as many bookings as possible on cable news. It's like for many members of Congress and many politicians now, the policy-making goals are not even really relevant. They don't really have any policy-making ambitions. Their goal is just to be in the public eye, stoking outrage, getting people riled up on social media, making a name for themselves on cable news. It's something that we haven't seen before, where you have people who are, you have politicians who are basically more interested in being media personalities than actual legislators and representatives. Yeah, definitely. All right. Speaking of media, I, I teased it and we didn't get to it, but Jurgowski is going to review Elf when we come back. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914, the talk and text line. Jurgowski, is your tree up yet? You got a tree? It, it, is, it is not, Rick. What? But that song makes me feel bad about doing so, about not having it up yet. And by the way, Rick, that is a top five Christmas song right there. That's a top five. Yeah, we could do that. We should have do uh, next week. Top five Christmas songs. <laughs> top five. Uh, you know, otherwise, I don't know if we're going to do a show on Christmas Eve. Otherwise, I think maybe we just, you know what we should do is record um, if I'm because I don't I, I'm going to go to my parents house on Christmas Eve, I think. So maybe we record and we'll just do an all Christmas episode and have it for Christmas Eve so people can listen. Because oh, we, we can do a solid segment arguing about Mariah Carey. All uh, I want for Christmas is you. Because uh, I know we have vastly different views on that. Unbe- song. I don't even know why you bring up that song on this show. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, we're, we're getting a call here. Let's see. I got a. I don't want to hang up. Sometimes call, line one doesn't work here. Hey, is this Joe? Yeah, it is. Hey, Joe, go yeah, ahead. You're um, on the air. Yeah. So had either one of you ever looked at or listened to Mike Lindell's videos on the voting, voting, the cheating that took place in the 2020 election? Can you What cheating? The cheating, had, to answer my question, had either one of you, you're a news person and he's a professor, have you looked at, have you listened to any of the videos of the voter fraud or are you just assuming voting fraud didn't happen? What's your dog barking at? Barking at you. Unbelievable. Um, so you want, so, okay, for, well, Trigoski, have you looked at the My Pillow guys at election no, have investigation? Listened, have you listened to any of the videos? <laughs> uh, yeah. You have. Which, which ones have you listened to? I watched the, uh, I watched the convention he did in Sioux Falls. You watched the what? He did a convention in South Dakota. Yeah, how many hours did you watch? Oh, my God. All right. So, all right, you wanted him to, to answer the question, and then you're just going to – I mean, it's not great radio, Joe. It's all um, – Joe called in yesterday, I think, and went off on um, Mike Lindell's uh, exposing the cheating going on. Um, deep dive. Joe's deep, Joe likes to deep dive into this stuff. I don't know. That, that – I mean, how much, how much attention do you pay? Like, what, what – I guess, Trigoski, what do you think of whatever Mike Lindell is spewing? Um, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, Mike Lindell is being taken advantage of by people who do know better. Uh, a lot of Mike Lindell's theories are easily disproven. He has some pretty elementary flaws in his data. I know he did try to send Mike Gableman, the 
the former Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin who's doing the inquiry into the election here. He did apparently try to send some data to Mike Lindell's email address. I don't uh, know Mike Gableman's email address. I don't know how that turned out. Um, But I'm worried that Mike Lindell is getting taken advantage of by people who see a rich guy with an open checkbook who's willing to spend money to do these investigations. So I I honestly feel bad for Mike Lindell. Uh, I I feel like there are people in his orbit who are hustling him and taking advantage of him. Well, on the flip side, Mike Lindell kind of loves the attention, right? Because anytime you go to any of his conventions, on the side of all the walls is buy my pillows. Get the sheets, you get the pillow set, you get the the bedspread. Northside Kent loves my pillow pillows, right, Kent? I I have a king size and a queen size on my bed. <laughs> uh, my pillow, my pillow, king size, queen size. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, it's it's all a good thing, man. How are you guys <laughs> doing? How you doing tonight, Doc? Hey, what's up, Kent? Nice to hear from you. Hey, you know, I'm just listening to you guys tonight too, and um. Like I said, I remember a day when, you know, I was a kid, my mom could go over to my neighbors in Milwaukee after working eight hours. She was a single mom, three kids, and my mom was a Republican. The neighbors were a Democrat, and they could talk. It, there was no racist. There was no fighting. And then you guys bring up this major Marjorie Taylor Greene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but you, you don't bring up AOC. You don't bring up Tlaib and all these rabble-rousers that are, are just... Spoon racism constantly. That's not their jobs. Well, what's what's you know? what are they saying? Well, they're you know, everything's racist to them. Oh, okay. You know? So they're they're pointing Omar out up things there in the cities. She's uh, you know in Congress or something. Congress, whatever she does. I'm just saying, if if all those politicians go to work, I don't care if they're Democrats, Republicans, and work for the American people instead yeah. of spoon all this junk, we'd be a better country, won't we? No, Kent, I'm with you on sort of the broader issue here, that there are politicians across the board who believe that stoking outrage and becoming famous media personalities instead of serious politicians, that that's the way to go. I mean, there are politicians across the board. Doctor, but mention those Omar's name, too, not just Taylor Green from Georgia, because it always comes up on the news channels. They, They never bring up... I'll bring up one, but not the other. Let's bring them all out in the same group. Well, Kent, what you're saying... If they all stop it and do their jobs and what they were sent to Washington to do, this country would be a better place, right? All right. Thanks thanks for the call. What Kent's saying is, like, uh, he mentioned three female politicians of color all happen to be Democrats, and he mentioned that they're pointing out racism. (laughs) So that's that's one way to say it. What I'm saying is when Lauren Boebert gets on... Uh, at a campaign rally somewhere or on the floor of Congress, she's actually being racist. So there's there's two different thoughts there. And some people will point out to uh, some comments Omar has said about, um, I think, Palestine versus Israel and uh, as being anti-Semitic. And, uh, you know, that I think a lot of times that gets misconstrued, too. 
No, I, I agree. And there's a difference between being racist and calling out racism. So we should be attentive to that distinction. It's a very important one. We should also, of course, note that politicians across the board are more and more of the mindset that a public relations approach is the way to go instead of the hard work of making laws. And you see people on both sides with that mindset. Maybe certain people on one side have more of that mindset. I honestly don't know. Uh, Obviously, the Republicans are the minority party. And so as the minority party in Congress, they simply don't have that much power over the lawmaking process and not nearly as much power as the Democrats do. So it's not surprising that you do see a lot of Republicans trying to pursue this more. Well, I'll just do hot takes on social media, I'll get bookings on cable news, and I'll kind of make a name for myself that way. Uh, What will be worth watching, Rick, is if Democrats kind of take that same approach. Should they go to the minority party in the 2022 midterm elections, and if they see their lawmaking power really take a hit? But uh, I I don't want to suggest that this is exclusive to one party or the other. It's a troubling trend across the board that people who are serious about lawmaking, that people who are serious about working together, are that that is just going out of style in politics. It's a terrible development. And, you know, neither party has a monopoly on that problem. Uh, Of course, as you note, though, Rick, uh, when we're talking about, like, racism and when we're talking about, you know, people who are going way over the line and then people who are calling that out, uh, that's a different matter entirely. Yeah, I think Randy. Is this Randy? Hello. Yes, it is. Yeah, Randy, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to ask the Professor a question. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, in the 2020 election, I know this is hashed over and hashed over. Um, Mr. Biden would go to one of his rallies, and he got. All right. So, um, all right. So. Chagoski, when when we when we talk about the the election investigation, we we talk about the the lawmakers trying to go to social media to draw attention to themselves, and then you look at stuff like the election investigation. Uh, are the, are they all kind of intertwined in, in in terms of uh, trying to just gather attention to keep the base keep a to rally a certain section of the base, right? Absolutely. I mean, and this relates to gerrymandering. This relates to the increased partisanship, where politicians no longer feel any obligation to reach across the aisle to try to appeal to the voters of the other party. The name of the game for so many politicians is to make their core supporters as outraged and annoyed and motivated as possible, and that it has really damaging effects. I mean, like Kent was talking about, you know, back in the day, he had a neighbor who was of a different party than his mother, and they could talk, and they could talk like normal human beings. They could have civil conversations. They could talk without getting into fistfights, and, you know, 
that that style of conversation goes out the window when you have politicians who only care about talking to their core supporters and feel no obligation to reach out beyond their base. Yeah, what happens there, I think, is uh, when when you can you know how you get Democrats and Republicans to talk well about or be able to talk to each other is when you just say in general the government's corrupt and it's never, none of it is working for the people. It's all just working for giant the whoever's donating the most cash to to uh to whatever representative that 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 you're trying not to vote for. Um, all right, Chagoski's gonna stick around. We'll be back right after this. Just for you, Chagoski. I don't know. I don't. Is this the only good Mariah Carey Christmas song, or do you have the whole? Do you even have CDs anymore? This is, first of all, no. And secondly, <laughs> this is the only Christmas song you need from Mariah Carey because it's so good. Yeah, because all the other ones are meh. <laughs> I will say there's a Jack Johnson, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer song, and I don't mind. And there's a Jewel song where she yodels. I think she, that might also be a Rudolph the song. Um, all right, so we haven't gotten to it yet, but your take on Elf is top five Christmas movie? Absolutely. I mean... There are the classics, Rick, but we can also observe and we can also acknowledge that some of the more recent stuff, say Mariah Carey, relatively recent, uh, some of the more recent stuff is worthy of being like noted as a top five Christmas song, top five Christmas movie. Elf is absolutely in my top five. It might even be one of my top two yeah, I, I I'm I'm gonna watch every Christmas, Christmas Vacation, and Elf. I am not gonna watch. Uh, is it Miracle on Thirty? I don't even know the name. That's how often I watch it. Thirty Fourth Street, Thirty Second Street, Thirty Something Street. Well, here's the weird thing, Rick. I don't know a lot about the classics, but my wife has basically spent the last two weeks watching all of the straight to Netflix Christmas movies, <laughs> which are not great in quality uh but they sure make a lot of them yeah so i know a lot about those movies yeah the all the hallmark movies there's uh yeah. there's one on on disney called i think it's it might be called noel i think it's straight up just called noel it's it's not the it's one of those like it's not the worst it's like your santa died and you're the 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 next santa i'm spoiling a spoiler alert uh, but it wasn't the worst. I get I get cracked up. I get, I, I get a little teary-eyed at Elf, I'll tell you. I watched it the other day. I, I was like, man, this is a tearjerker, I tell you. Is there anything lower stakes, Rick, than giving up the plot of a Christmas movie? <laughs> it's like, who cares? I mean, spoiler alert, the Noel movie is about how Santa Claus is real. But uh, yeah, Spoiler alert, things turn out great in the end. <laughs> yeah, there is a happy ending. There is a kid that does... <laughs> Spoiler, in the movie, there is a kid that does see Santa come down the chimney and is eating cookies and or opening presents. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, we did this last week. We, uh, we, we, we hit on like the most important topic at the end of the show, and I'm not talking about Elf, but we talked about we did talk about the school threats last week. And I want to do that this week because I want to start the show talking about this stuff, and we'll see. Hopefully there's not another school threat next week, but... Um, the Lacrosse City Council passed the Fish Labs Event Center. So, in and we, I talked to that group. They had that. It seemed like they had a pretty sweet idea for what to make of the Riverside Park Fish Labs building on the north side, where the old Native Hiawatha statue used to be. That building right up there. Um, mm-hmm. 
when when they start re- when that group takes over and they sign the lease and they start remodeling, should we petition to do Friday's show from the Fish Labs building? Like maybe I don't know, maybe either in the building or maybe uh, you know in the in the summer months, like on the roofs or something out there. We could just do the show from out there. Absolutely, Rick. But we just have to be careful not to create too much of a ruckus. We know that that was the big issue with this particular building. I mean, it's just the perfect example of how something that might benefit the community as a whole is opposed by the people who live closest by. That is super common in local politics. You know, we talk about like a drug treatment center that would benefit the city as a whole, but is opposed by the neighborhood or a veterans treatment center that is obviously going to benefit the community as a whole, but is opposed by the neighborhood. This was no different where the people who lived closest by were opposed. But I mean, we would like to have some thing to feature by that prime location. And ultimately, According to Brad's story on this, there was only one council member who voted against it. So it sounds like ultimately there was a nice job of bringing people together and building consensus surrounding this project. That's exactly what you want to have play out in this process. You want concerns to be addressed. You want to get people on board. You don't want the process to go on forever and ever and ever. You have to bring the process to an end. You have to make a decision at some point. But to the extent that you can get widespread agreement, and that's exactly what seems occur- what seems like it, it occurred here, that, that's a good outcome. And so I consider this a positive outcome, both in terms of the process that this went through and in terms of what this means for Riverside Park and downtown. Yeah, if we can get a Wisdom Studio inside the Fish Labs building at some point, while well, people are, the events are going on and we're also doing a show, it won't create a giant ruckus, maybe a little bit, but the, the, the comedy there with the neighbors of the, of the lacrosse Riverside Park not wanting an event center in the park is, is com- it's comical because, and we talk about it all the time. There's it's a park. There's already on Thursdays, there's concerts. The lacrosse center is just down the road. That's going to create traffic. Like, are you going to be mad about all that stuff? But when you bring up like veterans center, stuff like that was going in neighborhoods. So they were changing zoning to put like a veterans rehab center inside a neighborhood. But there's, you know, there's two schools of thought there. Like, why don't you put something like that in a, in a different place? That's not like just houses and, and suburbs. Right. But on the flip side, They're just people living there to rehab, so they're also just humans living in a neighborhood. It's always a really difficult issue, Rick, because you have to balance the overall good of the community with the concerns of the people who will be most impacted. What often happens is that in things like public comments and Facebook posts and letters to the editor, you have the people from the neighborhood. You have the people who will be most affected making the most noise, making the most comments, getting the most involved in the public conversation. But this time, we were actually able to make a uh, to, to get to a, a deal here, yeah. even though there was opposition from the people who live nearby. As you noted, Rick, I mean, the opposition was a little odd, given the broader right, setting and the other events that take place. That's UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Tregoski. He'll be here next Friday when we do a movie review of Die Hard and whether or not it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. See you guys.